Section 57 of Through Fairy Holes of My Book House. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bedwer. Through Fairy Holes of My Book House. Edited by Olive Bupreux Miller. Melilot. Chapter 57. Melilot. It had been raining for ten months, and everybody felt as if it had been raining for ten years. There was a breath of wet and everything indoors, and a flood of wet and everything out of doors, and over the great waste of bog between the two lakes in the valley, thick mist brooded and the rain fell with never-ending splash. Melilot was wet through as she made her way slowly down toward the valley. A pretty little girl of twelve was Melilot, and she lived in a cottage way up the mountains. She had been the only child of hard-working parents who taught her all that was good. But now both her father and mother were dead, and she was left quite alone to care for herself. For days she had had little or nothing to eat, and that morning the rain had beaten a hole through the roof of her hut, so the water came pouring in and drenched everything through and through. Faint with hunger and weeping with grief, Melilot went down into the valley to ask for human help. The waterfall that broke into foam on the rocking basin near her cottage door dashed with a mighty roar over a precipice into the swollen stream that carried its flood to one of the lakes, and it was by this steep and rocky path the road down into the valley ran. Melilot's nearest neighbors lived in a wretched hovel on the oozing marsh and Melilot knew that her father had always avoided these people and forbidden her to go near them. But to what others could she turn in her loneliness and great need? Shivering and weeping, she crept along through the mist and fog and knocked at the cottage door. Who's there? asked a hoarse voice inside. It's Melilot from up above us answered a hoarser voice. Come in, little Melilot, said the hoarsest voice of all. At sound of those harsh voices, the child flinched, but at last she summoned all her courage and opened the door. There she stopped short at the threshold. Before her was a muddy puddle, and in it three men sat squatted like frogs. They had broad noses and spotted faces, and the brightest of eyes all fixed upon her. We are glad to see you, Melilot, said the one who sat in the middle, holding out a hand that had all its fingers webbed together. He was the one who had the horse's voice. My friend on the right is Doc, Dodder sits on the left, and I am Squill. Come in and shut the door behind you. Melilot hesitated for just an instant. They certainly were ugly enough to look at, but at length she went bravely in and shut the door behind her. A long time ago your father came here, but he went out as soon as he saw us, said Doc. You are wiser than he, little girl. My father, oh my dear father, mourned Melilot weeping. 
she is very sad and hungry, said the daughter, and we have nothing to offer her but the tadpoles, which she cannot eat. Dear neighbors, sobbed the child, the rain has beaten a hole through the roof of my cottage. I am there all alone and in very great need. Will you come up the mountain and help me? She asked us to her house, said the dog. We may go, said Dodder, if we are invited. Little Melilot, said Squid in his horse's tone, we will all follow you to the mountain hut. Then the three ugly creatures splashed out of their pool and moved with ungaling hopping toward her. But Melilot looked frankly into their faces and saw that their eyes, though bright, were neither hard nor cruel. Arm in arm behind her, they hopped along up the mountain. Rain still poured from the sky, runlets flooded their path and the great cataract roared by their side. Once Melilot, faint and weary, lost her footing and fell, but her three neighbors lifted her gently to her feet and helped her tenderly on. At last, after toilsome climbing, they reached the hut. Doc, Dodder and Squill at once bestirred themselves to mend the great hole in the roof. Late into the night they worked, and when they had finished their task, the half-famished child raked the embers of the fire and put on fresh wood till a blaze leaped up. Then she bade the three ugly monsters sit down in the warmth and rest. I am sorry, dear neighbors, she said, bravely pressing back the tears, that I have no supper to offer you who have been so kind to me. Ah, but you have supper, said Doc. In astonishment, the child followed the glance of his eyes, and lo, on the round table near the fire, where she and her parents used to eat, there stood a loaf of bread and a cup of milk, just if her dear father and mother themselves had provided them. Oh, I am thankful, cried Melilot, and she broke the loaf into three pieces and gave a piece to each of her guests, saving nothing at all for herself. She is starving, whispered daughter, yet she gave us all the food. We must eat it all, said Squill. You know the reason why. So they ate every crumb, and Merilot smiled as they basked in the firelight, her heart brimming over with joy that she had this bread to give. Never once did she think that nothing was left for her. But no sooner had the three neighbors eaten than lo, there appeared on the table another loaf of bread and another and larger cup of milk. That must be supper for the good little daughter Melilot and no one else, said Squill. Warm through and through, as if by her mother's very presence, Melilot gratefully ate. But she did not eat all that was said before her. No, for she thought to ask her kind friends to stay with her through the night so she saved enough from her sore-needed supper to provide for their breakfast next morning. It was long since the sun had set, reddening the mists of the plain, and now the mountain path beside the torrent was dark and difficult to follow. So when Melilot asked the monsters to sleep in the hut, they assented eagerly. There were but two beds in the cottage, a poor little straw pallet and the large and comfortable one where Melilot's father and mother had slept. With simple hospitality, Melilot gave up to her guests the larger bed, reserving the poor one for herself.
after looking at her gratefully, the three monsters lay down and went to sleep with their arms twined about each other. The child looked down on them clinging together in their sleep and noted many a kindly line and many a line of sorrow in their half-frog-like faces. If one stirred in his sleep, it was to nestle closer to the other two. How strange, she said to herself, that I should at first have thought them ugly. Then she knelt in prayer by her little nest of straw, and did not forget them in her prayers. There was a blessing on them in her heart as she settled down to sleep. But as she lay there, the rushing noise of the torrent fixed her attention and drew her towards the window from which she looked out into the night. There was a short lull in the rain, though the wind still howled around the mountains and through a chance break in the scurrying clouds the full moon now and then flashed. It lit the lakes in the valley far below and caused the torrent outside the window to gleam like silver through the shadows. Thence came to the ear of the lonely child, hark! It seemed loud and wondrous music. Could it be the song of busy fairies at work in the waterfall? Up to the moon it cut down that ray, in and out the foam wreaths plating, spin the froth and weave the spray. Melilot is watching, Melilot is waiting. Pick the moonbeam into shreds, twist it, twist it into threads. Threads of the moonlight, yarn of the bubble, Weave into muslin, double and double, fold all and carry it, tarry ye not, to the chamber of gentle and true Melilot. Almost at the same moment the door of the hut opened, and on the threshold two beautiful youths appeared, bright as the silver moonlight. At the feet of the gentle little maid they laid a bale of fairy muslin, woven from the spray of the waterfall. Then they turned into gleaming fireflies and flitted out of the room. Ah, said the child to herself as she looked once again at the monsters cuddled together on the bed. The fairies have brought me this that I might not have to send my kind helpers away without a gift. I will make them three dresses before they wake that they may see I am glad to work for them as they have worked for me. Very carefully so as not to awaken them, she began measuring her neighbors with the string of her poor little apron. Then she retired with her scissors and thread and the fairy muslin into the farthest corner of the hut and set to work by the fitful light of a pine stick. All through the night the little maid stitched, but all night long as she patiently worked, the fairies sang outside and a wonder it was that her needle never once needed threading. Keeping time to the low, sweet music, her fingers flew with a marvelous speed. One needful of thread made all the three coats, and still the thread was as long as before. When the first faint gray of dawn came creeping into the hut, the dresses were ready and all the muslin had been used except a small litter of pieces. Melilot daintily folded the coats with that corner uppermost in which she had embroidered the owner's name, 
dock in one, dodder in other, and squeal in the corner of a third. Then she laid them by the bed of her guest and, weary with toil, lay down for a little sleep. Doc, Dodder and Squill awakened before Melilot, and the moment they opened their eyes, the very first thing each saw by the bed was his dainty new garment. In a twinkling they all dressed themselves, and the very moment they stood arrayed in the white Muslim coats, lo, they turned into three fairy youths of bright and wonderful beauty. Then they went hand in hand and stood with joyful tears by the bed of the good little maid. She has set us free, the dear child, said Doc. With all the Muslim she had, she had saved nothing for herself, said Squill. Did not the child once wish to wear muslin in place of those rags? I kissed them, brothers, for her sake. But Squill's kiss on the girl's ragged frock changed it into a splendid satin gown embroidered with jewels. And I kissed the walls that sheltered us, said Dodder, but Dodder's kiss on the wretched walls changed them into a network of fragrant blossoms. And I kissed the lips that bade us come hither, Doc said. At his kiss the child smiled and opened her eyes, but she did not yet know the three handsome youths for her ugly guests. She thought them the fairies who had brought her the muslin. Ah, fairies, she cried, those are the dresses I made for my three kind neighbors. I beg you do not take back your gift. It made me so happy to think I might do something for them. It is true I have done nothing of myself. The muslin is yours and the thread too, and it was you who made the needle run. Yet I beg you to let me have the coats to give to them. Ah, dear little Melilot, said the fairies, speaking in softest unison. You say you have done nothing of yourself, yet the kindness in your heart has done more for us than all our love and service will repay. For tonight it has changed us from the ugly monsters who were your neighbors into our rightful forms again. Then you are my dear neighbors, said the child, springing up, and all is changed in the cottage. Why are the walls covered with flowers and my dress with jewels? It is the kindness in your heart has done it all, said the fairies again, and lo, little Melilot saw that the rain no longer fell. The sun had driven away the clouds and the bright morning beams played in the spray of the cataract. Joyously she ran out of doors and the fairies after her. But they had no sooner reached the open that dog peered up at the sky. Do you see anything between us and the sun? cried he. A speck, said the daughter. The wicked frog bit herself, said Squeal, and they all hurried into the cottage again, taking Melilot with them. There Squill, as if preparing to meet some evil, began shaping into a net the leftover shreds of fairy muslin. Soon there came an icy wind, striking a chill through the flowery cottage. It seems to me, said Melilot, peering out at the windows, that this wind comes from that great black raven that has just lit on our roof. Ah, frogbit, cried Squill, come on. 
we are ready for you. At that the ugly bird let out a shrill croak as if in defiance and began to beat away through the roof. At her touch the leaves of the bower withered and the blossoms shriveled up. But just as Frogbit dropped in triumph through the hole, Squill leaped up and caught her fast in his net. Then, beat her wings as she would, she could not break through the fairy muslin. Well done, cried Doc and Dodder, but Melilot said pityingly, Poor bird, why do you treat her so? Waste no pity on her. She came on a bad errand, said Doc, but Melilot, who loved man, bird and beast, bent over the fluttering raven and through it struck at her fiercely with its bill she took it net and all to her bosom how can a poor raven be your enemy said the child their enemy and yours shrieked the raven mine cried melilot in surprise how can you be my enemy i would do you no hurt for i love you and she stooped to kiss the raven's head through the thin muslin but the bird struggled to escape from the kiss with an agony of terror. Nay, said the gentle child, no evil can come of a true kiss, and she firmly and tenderly pressed her lips to its head. But lo, at the touch of her kiss, the wicked frogbit changed from a raven into naught but a black, shapeless lump of earth. What have I done? the child cried, weeping. But the three fairies joyously threw the lump of earth into the waterfall and told her just what she had done. Of all they had lived happily with their brothers in the torrent and in the valley below till the wicked frogbit came with her own evil race and drove the good fairies out of the valley. Doc, Dodder and Squill, frogbit had taken prisoner. Then she had turned the land below into a marshy wilderness and brought down never-ending rain. The three fairies of the bright running water she had condemned to sit in a stagnant puddle, having their own bright natures hidden from view in outward forms the most detestable. Live here, she had said, till a little child can look at you without being afraid can believe in you entirely, invite you to her house, give up to you her own supper, and of her own free thought make white muslin dresses for your filthy shapes. And you, dear Malilot, said the fairies, have done all this. Then I have really been a friend to you, cried the child. Ay, and to Frogbit too, they replied. An innocent kiss is the charm that breaks all evil spells. You have broken the spell that raised her from a clod of earth into a creature of mischief. We of the torrent will direct the waters that they wash away the clod. Purified now of evil, it shall yield beautiful flowers of which good fairies shall be born. So the three fairies return to their race. But Melilot grew to womanhood, their friend and the favorite of all the fairies of the waterfall. Her rich and splendid dress she led away and never wore, 
for she was arrayed by the fairies in simple garments of their own shining muslin, woven from the white sheets of the torrent's foam, a dress so pure it would take no speck of soil, and still all the bread and milk she needed appeared on the table each morning and evening, and in her heart was a sense of satisfied love, as though her dear parents were ever with her. As to the marsh, the bad fairies over whom Frogbid ruled must have left it, for the mists and brooding fog vanished. It dried up and became a plain, where men tilled the soil and reaped bounteous harvests. End of section 57 Recording by Bedwer